welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Usumimi. Happy 2019! I hope you all had a nice holiday season, winter break, New Year's, whatever you happen to celebrate. It's the first episode of the new year. 2018 was a pretty great year for my little podcast, and shout out to listeners old and new for making it as fun as it was. While I'm always happy with what I make for the podcast, I'm always looking to make things better, even after all this time. So here's hoping this year will be even more exciting and fun than the last. And today, we're starting the new year off with another short review episode. For those of you who might be newer to the podcast, a review episode is just my very fancy name for a podcast episode I record solo, where I go back and revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in years, take some notes on what I remember about it, and then go rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did back in the day, since... You know, as we get older, sometimes our tastes change, or we pick up on things we didn't notice before. You know, all that stuff. Simple, right? Anyway, I usually run my podcast in a schedule where I'll do two longer episodes with a guest where we go in-depth on something, and then one of these short review episodes to give me a little bit of a break in between. So, if this kind of episode isn't to your liking, don't worry. This isn't how every episode of the podcast goes. Next episode will be another longer one with a special guest, so please look forward to it. Now with all that out of the way, on to the show. Recently I'd been talking to a friend about how our old anime clubs used to be, and what kind of things we had watched at our meetings. A title that came up in the conversation that we had both ended up watching was a title that seemed fairly popular in the 90s at anime clubs, but has since then pretty much fallen out of the greater fandom consciousness as time went by. A title I decided to revisit for this month's episode. A little four-part OVA from 1994 called Bakuen Campus Gardress better known in the English-speaking world, under a translated title decided on by the old Project Daikon fansubbers, Combustible Campus Gardress. Combustible Campus Gardress is an interesting title. Like many anime titles of the 90s, it never got an official release here, but found its way into anime club viewing rooms across the English-speaking world via fansubbed VHS. The fact that it was short made it the perfect candidate for both fan subbing and for showing at anime club meetings. It also helped that it had a mix of both action and comedy, making it a pretty successful crowd pleaser. Like many people, that was my first exposure to it, and after seeing it at my local club, I ended up getting a copy from the folks there as well. It'd been quite some time since I last watched the series, but I feel like I remember the basics fairly well. On paper, the plot doesn't seem like anything special. Thousands of years ago, chosen guardians with special powers held back the forces of evil by pushing them back into the dark world from which they came. One of these guardians in particular, with spiritual magic, acts as a key to a gateway between their world and ours 
and was instrumental to this task. Fast forward to modern times, and the site of this gateway has been turned into a school where everyone has been trained to be a guardian, and one of the most powerful of all is a teenage girl named Hazumi. She, and pretty much all of her classmates, just so happens to be reincarnations of those guardians. Specifically, she was the personal bodyguard of the key to the gate. And wouldn't you know it, her brother just so happens to be the reincarnation of that key. So now she has to constantly protect her brother, even during school, from the reincarnations of the bad guys from thousands of years ago, who finally shone back up to open the gate and plunge our world into darkness. Sounds like a pretty typical anime plot, right? Nothing that sounds exactly groundbreaking or special. But the story also has a nice helping of comedy going on, with some tongue-in-cheek pokes at the slew of similar anime that were coming out at the time. The major one being that practically everyone we meet in the story is a guardian with honed powers and special attacks. Everyone from cheerleaders to student council members to housewives seem to possess expert weapon proficiency and powerful special attacks to rival any tokusatsu hero or video game character. I remember thinking this not only made for some very funny gags, but for some really enjoyable action scenes throughout. I also recall this series being created in part by Kazushi Hagiwara, the original mangaka for Bastard, which older fans might remember from back in the day. Pair this with the animation handled by Production IG, and you have an OVA that looked pretty damn slick and stylish. That is, from what I can remember. I feel like I liked this OVA alright. It wasn't my favorite, but I remember thinking that it had some pretty fun fight scenes, and I liked that the character saving the world with a giant sword and insanely overpowered abilities this time was actually a teenage girl and not a teenage boy for once. I don't think I thought it was as funny as, say, other wacky 90s OVAs like Dragon Half or something, but there were some laughs to be had in it. It has been quite some time since I last saw it, though, so I'm kind of dreading revisiting it to see how poorly some of the comedy may have aged, since that's a problem a lot of these things from the 90s seem to have. So, I guess it's time to see if that's the case here or not, dear listeners, in this month's rewatch.
So, right out the gate, there were a lot of things that I'd either forgotten about this series or I had purposely pushed out of my head entirely. I had a lot of the basics pretty much on point. It is a sort of parody about a bunch of overpowered teenagers being reincarnated as guardians working to save the world from reincarnated bad guys who are referred to in the story as the remnants. Uh, The hero is actually a heroine with a giant sword. There's a lot of cool fighting and some funny gags here and there. But (laughs) there's also... Oh boy, where do I begin? The main thing I had somehow completely forgotten was that while Hazumi is the reincarnated bodyguard of the key to the gate they must protect, aka her brother Takumi, the pretty big plot point that seemed to have completely fallen out of my head was that in the past, before they were reincarnated as this brother and sister, she was desperately in love with him and not related. But now they're brother and sister and she still loves him. <sighs> if, if you know me, you'll know that this is one of my most hated plot devices in all of anime, which is why I was so surprised that I had somehow completely forgotten about this, as it's kind of a major element in the story that many characters like to be vocal about. To be fair, it's very tame and mostly consists of Hazumi doting on him and just having some shoujo sparkle moments where she looks over at him wistfully. Although spoilers, they do end up sharing an on-screen kiss, and Hazumi does talk of eloping at one point, though it does not end up happening. And the characters will frequently be sure to remind the viewers, pretty much consistently, that they are not blood-related. Which, I guess, is supposed to be a relief? I mean, it's okay that she loves this guy that's her brother. They're reincarnated souls from thousands of years ago, and they're not actually blood-related, so that makes it okay, right? (sighs) I don't really understand why this plot point was used in the story, other than possibly to give an excuse as to why the two were living together, but... If that's the case, they could have easily written Hazumi as a bodyguard only posing as his sister if they needed an excuse for them to share a living space or to have grown up together or to be really close. Hell, they just could have assigned her to live with him as part of her duties and training as a guardian from birth. Why did they have to pull a fake incest type thing? I don't think it's meant to be a joke or some sort of part of a parody aspect of the series either, as I can't really recall this being a recurring theme in similar series before. I would have said maybe Angel Sanctuary, as that was the first thing that came to my mind, but when I looked at the dates, I was surprised to see that Campus Gardras had actually started coming out a few months before it did. So, probably just a pretty odd coincidence there. I was also a little annoyed that they never really explain how they're brother and sister, but not blood-related. 
Maybe you're supposed to assume that Takumi was adopted, considering how much his own mother also fawns over him whenever he's around, which is even creepier, honestly. There's a point where it even looks like she kisses him on the neck to wake him up for school, which is a whole different set of equally uncomfortable issues right there. But I guess the writers just decided that rather to explain how they weren't related, it would just be easier to have characters constantly, always reminding us that they're unrelated siblings. Great. Wonderful. (laughs) I wanted to make sure to bring this up first thing because while technically the story insists that it's fine, the fact is that it's still a bit weird and will most likely put some viewers off, and so I wanted to make sure to put it out there straight away in case this is something that bothers you or makes you uncomfortable. If it does, now you know to skip it, because this isn't something they just mention offhandedly once and never come back to. As I said earlier, it comes up pretty frequently. I'm still kind of shocked I'd completely forgotten about this, considering how much the story won't shut up about it. But other than that element of the story, putting that aside for now, I pretty much remembered the basics okay. Hazumi and pretty much half of her school and her entire neighborhood and prefecture, maybe, are all protecting this supernatural gate that connects the dark world of evil demons and the key to opening the gate, her brother Takumi, like I said before. Our story's villain, Kajima, and his army of remnants have also been reincarnated and are looking to open the gate to combine the demon world with the human world and get revenge on Hazumi and crew for killing them 300,000 years ago, of course. This leads to a lot of short but impressive animated battles leading up to the big ones in the fourth and final episode, all the while meeting lots of colorful and strange characters along the way and learning over and over again how much everyone seems to love and adore Takumi, who, while handsome and athletic, seems to also be playing the role of damsel in this story, as he is constantly needing saving by Hazumi or anyone else who happens to be a guardian who's close by, which is an interesting change of pace for a story like this. Since the story is pretty much like a parody of apocalyptic great end-of-the-world battle series we were seeing in anime and manga around the time that this was made, where the seriousness of these fights are always sprinkled with a few groan-worthy jokes or slapstick comedy, this kind of thing fits right in. Instead of an overpowered teenage boy with a sword constantly saving a female love interest or family member, we have a teenage girl instead saving her unlucky not-brother pretty much every other day. Add to the fact that not only their classmates, but pretty much the entire city around them has ridiculous superpowers as well, is an aspect I always enjoyed. It reminds me of the -the over-the-topness of those old 70s movies like Lone Wolf and Cub and such when literally everyone is an assassin, even young women and old ladies. You can't trust anyone. It's pretty much the same here. The ramen stand guy, the pachinko attendant, the washing machine repair guy, the porno book clerk, all of them guardians, all of them, and all of them with wacky superpowers that have to do with their jobs. It's a silly thing, and it isn't overdone straight away, which is nice. 
but it did make me think, did they have those superpowers that were very specific to their jobs and lives way back when they were children and they just were like, oh, so I get to grow up to be a ramen guy because my powers have to do with ramen. <laughs> but I'm probably overthinking it a little too much. But uh, this is a joke that gets peppered on throughout the series, but once the final battle rolls around, they really amp it up, which is perfect pacing for this type of running gag. It isn't done so much so that it's run into the ground so you're pretty much tired by the time the end of the series comes by. It's handled really nicely. Because of this, we get a lot of random side characters, and not all of them are winners. One of the main recurring characters, Chiryu, for example, is the ideal cool hero type that steps in whenever Hazumi needs a little help, except that he's always got to look at her underwear at some point, a running gag that happens every single episode, and this gag does get really old real fast. A few of the more minor side characters are also caricatures of stereotypes that have not aged well, and are a bit cringeworthy to watch 25 years after the fact. Most of the ones I'd mentioned previously are harmless, but there's some on the villain side that are a bit embarrassing by today's standards. The one that stands out the most is what appears to be a heavy metal-loving character who wears kiss-inspired makeup and something that looks like a black one-piece bathing suit or wrestling singlet. It's heavily implied that he's gay and or into some kind of cross-dressing leather enthusiast scene <laughs> as the characters act horrified or amused at his appearance while he goes on long spiels about how beautiful he thinks himself to be. It's a really outdated gag, but considering how old it is, it's not all that surprising. There's also a kinda creepy guy who keeps hitting on most of the female characters that's drawn and portrayed like a really bad French stereotype pulled directly from an old Looney Tunes short. I think that's one of the reasons that, for all its faults, I still kind of had fun with this a little bit. I mean, it's super pulpy and obviously supposed to be over the top and ridiculous, like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like, the two female villains who combine to do a special attack called Sexy Dinobuster that shoots giant boob missiles at Hazumi. While, while the series often does fall back on dated humor and fan service, it's very campy and can be viewed as a product of its time that was meant to be weird and wacky, not something that was made to make some sort of statement. Even the ending is a bit anticlimactic. A vague spoiler, but the big bad villain, who spends the entire time talking about hate and being angry, ends up being defeated by the power of Hazumi's love rather than her giant powerful sword. It kind of reminds me of something that you would have seen in, like, Sailor Moon or Tenchi Muyo rather than the typical battle OVAs it was poking fun at, which I'm sure was also part of the gag. This OVA started coming out around the height of the 2D fighting game's popularity in the 90s as well, which is a little apparent when you start to watch it. Like I'd mentioned earlier, there's a lot of fights in it, and pretty much all of them are incredibly well animated by production IG. 
This was a title they handled right after their release of the second Pat Labor film, and right before the first Ghost in the Shell film. So this is of course some top-notch work for the studio. Because the Guardians and Remnants all have ridiculous superpowers and character designs that are very reminiscent of 90s fighting game characters anyway, the animators really went all out to flex their creative muscles. A sexy, shape-shifting club girl that can turn her limbs into axes and her hair into monsters? Sure! A cheerleader that can send a tornado of kittens at you? Why not? A super strong schoolgirl in a sailor uniform launching off walls and slicing trees in half with a sword the same size as she is? But of course! At one point, even one of Hazumi's fights ends up with what looks like a fighting game victory screen backdrop, so the inspiration is definitely there. Hell, in the final battle, the big bad villain even has a secondary monstrous final form. That's about as video game boss-like as you can get. The director for this series is Mizuho Nishikubo, under the name Toshihiko Nishikubo. In the past, he's worked on other titles such as the latter half of The Rose of Versailles, Pat Labor 2, Video Girl Eye, and The Ghost in the Shell films. The series was originally conceived by two people, Satoru Akihori and the aforementioned mangaka, Kazushi Hagiwara. Satoru Akihori handled the screenplay and was also the creator and screenplay writer for such things as the Knights of Ramune series, the Saber Marionette series, and was a series supervisor on the Sakura Wars franchise. Manga artist Kazushi Hagiwara, the other series creator, also created a four-volume Bakuen Campus Gardris manga that ran alongside the series in V-Jump magazine at the same time that this anime was being released. He's best known for doing the fantasy comedy series Bastard, which also was fairly popular in the 90s and had an OVA adaptation made. The manga is actually still listed as ongoing, but chapters only seem to come out every once in a blue moon when Hagiwara feels like it. Character designs for Combustible Campus Gardris were done by Kazuchika Kisei, who also did character design for Blue Seed, and key animation for the original Ghost in the Shell films and Dominion Tank Police, as well as character animation for the original 90s Evangelion movies. Music for the series was done by Fumitaka Anzai, who also handled music on the Urusei TV and OVA series, as well as the first movie. They also did music for Miyuki and The Legend of Basara. There's a lot of familiar 90s seiyuu in this series. For Hazumi, we have Rika Matsumoto, who is probably best known as the voice of Satoshi, aka Ash Ketchum, in the Japanese version of Pokemon. She's also Ayaka in Phantom Quest Corp, Rumi in Perfect Blue, and Aoi in You're Under Arrest. Matsumoto also sang the opening theme to the third episode, Koisuru Diary, which you can find on one of her best-of compilation albums as well. Akira Ishida plays Takumi, who you've probably heard before as Zelos in Slayers, 
Kawaru in Evangelion, and K in Marmalade Boy, among many, many others, as he's still working in the industry today. Koichi Yamadera plays the cool yet goofy Chiryu, which is perfect for him, as he's also known for playing another cool goof, Spike Spiegel, in Cowboy Bebop. He's also Kaiji in Evangelion, and Ryoga in Ranma One Half. Hime is played by Mika Kanai, who was also Mimet in Sailor Moon S, Lika in all the old Lika-chan OVAs, and Melonpana in Anpan Man. Villain Kijima was voiced by Akio Otsuka, who was also Blackjack in pretty much every anime adaptation of Blackjack so far, Damaramu in Dragon Half, and Bato in all of the Ghost in the Shell adaptations thus far. Rei Sakuma plays the sexy villainous Aoi, and you might have heard her previously in Gunbuster as Kazumi Amano, Shampoo in Ranma One Half, and Gigi in Kiki's Delivery Service. And even Koyasu Tekido has a small role as the school superintendent. You might have heard him before in one of the many roles he's played over the years, including Aoba in Evangelion, Hotahori in Fushigi and Toga in Revolutionary Girl Utena. The series never got a dub because, like I'd mentioned previously, it never was licensed over here. Which is surprising, considering that I could easily have seen it rising from an anime club room favorite to a cult classic if it had been released in the 90s on two separate VHS tapes from someone like Manga Entertainment or ADV. I could easily see people picking this up at a blockbuster and thinking it was the coolest thing ever in the mid to late 90s. Apparently, back when the now-defunct anime store Anime Nation was trying to get into the business of actually releasing anime, Combustible Campus Gardris was one of the titles they were hoping to license for their subsidiary, AN Entertainment. But apparently, that fell through due to licensing issues, and they had to go with something else instead, leaving the series to be an import-only affair to this day. At least, as of this recording. Fan subs were passed around for years on the VHS circuit, and I'm pretty sure digital ones are out there as well. The series wasn't a smash hit in Japan, but it did get enough attention from the anime and the manga release to get several drama CDs made as well. Sadly, its VHS and Laserdisc release never even made it to a DVD over in Japan, making the chances of one over here a little less likely, though not impossible. I could easily see a company like Discotech picking up something like this, as their MO lately has been licensing fairly obscure and or cult titles from back in the day. I guess only time will tell. So, would I recommend this series? If you're into super pulpy, ridiculous stuff and can get past some of the outdated humor and questionable plot points, it's pretty fun and a short watch if you can manage to track it down. The fighting animation is super smooth and stylish. The monster designs are funky and weird in cool ways, and there's just enough of a splash of bloody violence and fan service to make you go, 
Yep, this is a 90s OVA, all right. <laughs> if you enjoyed stuff like Ninja Scroll, Bastard, or Devil Hunter Yoko back in the day, this will probably be right up your alley. But if you want something similar with a little less blood and fan service, you might like stuff like Ushio and Tora, Lucid, or even Yu Yu Hakusho, as they're all a little more lighthearted, but have similar themes. And that about wraps it up for this short review episode on combustible campus guard dress. Many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Kofi, including Various Suit Girl and several listeners who wish to remain anonymous. Thanks, everyone! If you want to get a shout-out on the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have the link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links for this episode, as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. So, until then, I've been your host, Usamimi, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>